It is time. Check it out, y'all. You are now about to witness. Then it goes a little something like this. Welcome back to another edition of the Game Time Decision Podcast. I'm Colton Prell. Joining me as always, Graham Anderson and Nick, except it's not Nick Sagan this time. He's out in California. We kicked him off the podcast. Don't like him anymore. Instead, we got Nick Hendrickson, my partner in crime over at Last Word on Hockey. He is the other managing editor there. He puts out occasionally good content, mostly Blue Jackets focused. We can't help his choice in hockey teams. Uh, Nick, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's uh, long overdue. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really, really enjoy being on these kind of things. And uh, now I get to bash the Senators. A lot. <laughs> and that's how you get yourself taken off of these things just as quickly. Make <laughs> <laughs> it brought you on because uh, I got to tell you, I don't believe in your team. You know, your Blue Jackets, I keep looking at them, 103 points, second of the yeah. league. Yeah, and I'm still, it kind of seems like this is a recurring trend. You, you almost sound like a Penguins fan right now. I know. I know. I'm just, I'm not. I don't have faith. Here's the thing, you know, if you run into Toronto or Boston in the first round, I'm picking the Blue Jackets. But if you run into Pittsburgh, I've got my doubts. And so that's why you're here today. You're here to convince me on the Blue Jackets. Sell me on this team. 7-2-1 and in their last 10, but you look at the advanced stats and they're around 50% in everything that matters. Score adjusted Corsi Fenwick expected goals over the last 10 and over the last 20. You know, some 48%, 49%, but they're around average. You know, I look at this team and I go, eh, I'm not, I'm not sold. So why should I be? You watch this team day in, day out. What am I missing? Um, like you said, with the advanced stats, they don't really paint a, uh, a beautiful picture for us. It's, uh, relatively close to being a wild card team, but, uh, I think, and I'm not trying to be archaic in my thought process <laughs> here, but, the eye test does tend to tell you a little bit more in this circumstance than uh, advanced analytics would, especially because it's a John Tortorella team. They don't play pretty. They just grind out results. And uh, as you can see, there's a, a pretty big reliance on the uh, the depth of the team, bringing up people like Josh Anderson and Lucas Sedlak. I think the, uh, the depth has played a pivotal role this year in the fact that uh, – Sergey Bobrovsky doesn't have a uh, a paper groin anymore and <laughs> can actually do this thing called stop a puck. Uh, that definitely helps us out. So I think when you bring up teams like Toronto and Boston, I and without bias, I think we would beat them in probably five games, six games in a series. Yeah, but Pittsburgh, fair. you are right; it would be a very tough series, and it's primarily down to the speed that they have. In their organization, we're not exactly a fast team. We rely more on slowing the game down. We do play end to end, but it's uh, more of a collected, calm uh, approach rather than the high speed the uh, Penguins play. So that would be a very difficult ask for us. And that's the thing that concerns me because usually the best teams dictate the pace of play. Uh, and there are certain teams that mm-hmm. are elite teams that play at a slow play uh, rate of play you look at the ducks you look at the the kings uh, when they won the cup that many times you know those teams were fantastic teams that just slowed it down brought it to a halt and there's other teams like the sharks in the offensive end or the pens all the time who just always forward as fast as you can make that puck go and my concern is that the defensive core of the blue jackets outside of a few key players doesn't have the legs to keep up with a team like that over a seven game series. Yeah. I mean, I can't necessarily argue with you. I think that, uh, like you said, the, we do dictate the pace. Uh, and I think one of the major points that, uh, a lot of people don't actually know because it's not a huge statistic, uh, is that we are almost always the first team off the mark in a game we've scored, uh, including tonight against Buffalo, uh, We've scored the first goal in 48 games this season, which is only second to the Washington Capitals, who have 
uh, done so in 52 of their games. So we're not too far off of Washington in that respect. And a lot of people talk about Washington every year, about how they could challenge for the Cup. Oh, this is their year. And to be honest with you, I don't think we're that far off Washington. But what we have to do is we have to win a playoff series to get that kind of respect. And until then, we're never going to be anything more than, uh, oh, it's just the Blue Jackets. They can win 45, 50 games. But seriously, it's the Blue Jackets. They'll choke in the playoffs. So. And I, and I, uh, I'm with I'm with you in a sense there, Nick. That uh, being a Wild fan, I feel we're, we're both of our teams. You know, you look at me being in the West, you being in the East. I think we're the teams that people are not going to think are going to do anything. They're going to way undervalue us, um, despite the great regular seasons that we have. You're having a great March. I don't talk about the play Minnesota's been doing in March because <laughs> it just depresses me. Um, but I think that's that's what's interesting is that is I think. Well, like Minnesota and Blue Jackets have to go in with that mentality of nobody thinks we're going to do anything. So if if Columbus can take what they've done in those 48 games and score first, this is assuming they do have to play Pittsburgh in the first round, which two, three years ago, I would have said Pittsburgh could sweep you in four. This year, I'd say it'll be a very competitive seven games. And if you can find a way to get that first goal and maybe and maybe squeeze out a 2-1 win or something like that in a, in a couple games... Would it be a an upset? Yes. If if somehow you knocked out Pittsburgh in the first round, I, I think it would be an upset. I don't think you disagree with me. Would I be incredibly shocked? No. Like, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Blue Jackets knock off Pittsburgh. It would be a huge upset. But I think if they can dictate the pace, get that first goal, then they may be able to build on that momentum and find something to do. Um you know, it, it's it's important. Obviously, they have to stop Crosby and Malkin, which that's duh. Whoever faces them would have to do that. Yeah. But I, I think if 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 Columbus goes in with that mindset, with that mindset of we have to prove everybody wrong, because right now we're viewed as a great regular season team. But it, like any team, unless you can convert that to playoff success, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Yeah. Matter. We have we haven't had too much success with doing that. <laughs> Nor have I. Are you Nor is Minnesota. I get to the second round and I'm happy. And that's about where I poop. So, Are you concerned <laughs> that you're relying too heavily on the goaltender? That, that this could be another – there's two ways to look at it when I say this. That you could be the next Montreal Canadiens, which is either you know you don't get your goaltending and you're out in the first round. Or you do get your goaltending and you're in the Eastern Conference Final, but the second that's gone, you guys are out. Is that a concern for you that you're relying so heavy on Bobrovsky? I was actually going to mention that, and I can tell you with 100% assured, I uh, am not worried about that at all. I okay. actually was going to mention the name of Jonas Corposalo. I think, and he may not be the best backup in the league, but he's proven to be a very, very reliable one. He For instance, this year, he's got a very average record, very average save percentage. But because it's such a small sample size of just 11 games, he has he's, he's had two bad games this year, basically. Brings him down to a 9.05 save percentage. But if you watched him last year, he's a very talented young goalkeeper. He's got a good glove hand. He gets across his crease well. He's He was a little bit bad at tracking the puck at times last year, but it seems like that's what he's worked on in the offseason. And uh, he's gotten a lot better with that. So, And uh, on top of the fact that coming into this year uh, for the Monsters, he got injured and kind of had a slow start coming back from that. His momentum is starting to take him at a later time than most people would because the season started later, and I'm kind of hoping that that will translate into uh, uh, maybe a game or two here in the playoffs and getting us a win with our backup in. Corpusalo is one of those young goaltenders that I am I'm very confident of for the future. He reminds me, yeah. in not style of play, just in his scenario, as a, as a Martin Jones kind of player. Uh, yeah. who's stuck and, and he's going to get a chance as a starter. And once he gets that, he's just not going to look back and he's going to roll and people are going to be like, where did this come from? Um, but if you've paid attention to him, he is a, he's a very highly touted prospect and he's got the results to show for it. Uh, him and, and, him and, and my Saros. thoughts of what you said, Nick, about relying to, sorry, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, about relying too heavily on your goaltender. I think at this time, if, if at any point in the season, you're going to rely too heavily on your goaltender, it's going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and especially if you're playing Pittsburgh, you you know if Bobrovsky or Corpusalo 
if I pronounced that correctly, hopefully I did. Yeah. Um, if if either of them give up three plus goals, you're probably not winning that game because chances are mm-hmm. Columbus is not going to score four or more against Murray ever. So I think you. I don't. And I don't think that's ridiculous to ask of your goalie. You say, okay, you let in more than you let in three or more. We're we're losing. Like I mean, and you're not going to obviously think, oh, we can't score four on Pittsburgh because it, ha- it could. Not often. You may be able to do that once, <laughs> but I think that's that's not unrealistic for you to go to Brubovsky. And, uh, and I think he, he understands that if you do play Pittsburgh, that's the spot he's in. He knows as soon as I let in that third goal, I probably lost the game for us. Um, you know, you're not going to expect him to go out and play shutout hockey or one goal hockey. That's That would be expecting way too much. But I do think they are going to rely on him to, to get to that second round if they can. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a it's a big factor that a lot of people underplay. They just uh, you can tell in the fan base and the people that pay attention to the Blue Jackets a lot, which seems to be pretty much just the state of Ohio and one <laughs> random person living by Vancouver, <laughs> and, um, that they appreciate Corpusalo, but at the same time, I don't think people really understand how important he's going to be if we want to make a deep playoff run. He's going to be bigger than, and in my opinion, he's going to be bigger. Then, as Colton stated, whether or not the defense can skate with, say, a Pittsburgh, because I I don't think the pit uh, the defense will necessarily have to skate with anything anyone because they'll be more physical and slow down the play. So I think the goaltending situation is probably the biggest question mark. Two more questions for you. One, do you think we're maybe overlooking some of the depth on on Columbus? I know you mentioned Sedlak and I mentioned Johnson. But you got a guy like Scott Hartnell playing fourth line minutes for this team. You know, not too long ago, he was your top winger and potentially best player. Um, yeah, that, that is a, a force on the fourth line. You know, maybe it's Tortorella, maybe it's his play. I, I really haven't watched enough jackets to, to understand why he's there, but he's done phenomenally, phenomenally in that role. It's not, uh, necessarily because of his play because he's, he's had a decent year still. It's just that, uh, He's, you can tell the age is finally kind of starting to set in with him. He's, he's lost a little bit of a step uh, from that first few steps when he's taken off to skate there. And uh, it's more about having a veteran presence on one of the lower lines. He's there to kind of mentor people like Josh Anderson, who could arguably be a Scott Hartnell in the future, depending on what way he is. Uh, trajectory goes there and uh he he's been a very good locker room guy this year and i think having him in that bottom six has uh definitely played into what you said that people are overlooking the depth we have because like you said when we have scott hartnell who looking at it right now i had to pull it up because i couldn't remember the exact numbers but through 71 games he had 34 points he has 34 points that's not bad numbers for a third fourth line guy that's exactly what you want from your third, fourth line players. Exactly. exactly what so you want. a team like a team like that that's getting Vesna quality goaltending, uh, much stronger defensive play from last year, uh, including the likes of people like Seth Jones and Zach Orensky and better depth guys than you know Dalton Prout or Kevin Connaughton. <laughs> um, it just makes for a, a very good picture, a very hopeful picture. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but. I think we're a dark horse for this year's playoffs. And and I, I'd back that up too. I think it's important for teams that are those dark horses to have a, those veteran presence who have gone through the grind of playoffs and, and know what, what it takes to, to make it those extra games and get to those deeper rounds. And, and like, I, I, I'll admit I have Seth Jones as one of my defensemen in my fantasy league. Like I was really high on him this year and he's played well. So I think, I think, and Wierenski, I, I'm a sucker for defensemen, so I'll admit if I was if I had a vote in the Calder, I'd give it to him. But I'm also a sucker for when it comes to defensemen. Um, so um, I, I think that all of those things come, come together. When you have a guy like Scott Hurdle playing on your third, fourth line, that veteran presence can go in there and not, not set the tone on the ice, but set the tone in the locker room and then carry that to the ice, right? Like Scott Hurdle is not going to yeah. have a hat trick in game one of the playoffs. Like, no. If he yeah. gets three, if he if he gets you three goals over the series, that's fantastic. But if he can set the mindset and the tone in the locker room, and I think you need 
when you have a head coach like Torts who is very vocal, and that's kind of why another reason why I'd like to go deep is just because the press conferences would be way more entertaining for after game interviews with coaches if Torts is one of them. Uh, <laughs> um, but if you can have a veteran player in the locker room who is more level headed, like a Scott Hartnell, then it's kind of like he can not bring down the intensity, but more be like, okay, Torts is going to say all of his crazy stuff because um, that's what we love about Torts. But we need to, you know, nobody like, you know, and have that mindset. Nobody believes in us. We're unless unless you're the state of Ohio or Nick out near Vancouver, that's your fan base. It's all coming from you guys on the ice, especially if you go to Pittsburgh or like when your away games are. it comes from you setting the tone in the locker room and converting that onto the ice. Nick, the other question yeah. I had for you, your uh, your power play I mean, at the start of the year, first half of the year, even. That was the one to model, you know. Sam Gagne forced to be reckoned with number number one rated power play for the longest time. It looked fantastic. Other teams began playing off of it. It's cooled off a bit, still near the upper echelons of the league. You know, yeah. How do you expect it to fare in the postseason? You've been watching it closer than I have. Um, I think it's gonna as uh, a word that you and. Uh, our friend Beaker liked to use regression. I think it's, I think it's hit its point of regression there. And I think it's in a, a very fair spot to where it should have been on the year. I don't necessarily think that we're a, a bad unit on the special teams. Um, like we have been for about the last month, month and a half, we've been pretty, pretty rotten. But uh, I also don't think we're the kind of team that's, at t- rocking at 27% for a quarter <laughs> of the season. That was pretty amazing, but yeah. uh, for lack of a better word, it was a fluke. So <laughs> I think uh, a main reason why it's cooled off so much is just because uh, Gagne has gone on quite a cold streak. He was pivotal to the way that that system was playing there. He sat right in front of the goalie there in between the circles, and he'd get a, he'd get a pass from behind the net, and he'd just one-time it. And that was where I don't know the exact percentage at this point, but at one point, like 75 or 80% of his goals were coming on the power play. So uh, kind of like a Braden Shen. <laughs> but, <laughs> Great comparison. Uh, since he's cooled off, we've kind of dropped off down to, I, th- I believe we're in ninth coming into tonight. I don't think unless we go like over eight tonight, which I don't foresee happening. Um, I don't think we're going to move anywhere below that. And I don't think that going off the last couple weeks, we're going to really move any higher up either. We'll probably stay around the eight, nine area. And I think uh, it'll probably perform at that level throughout the playoffs as well. That's fair. That, and that's what I expected, but uh figured I'd, I'd ask you just in case, I guess last question for you before we move off of the blue jackets, which is, should they win the cup? Are you planning on shoulder back? Where's the tattoo going? Cause I'm assuming it's going to um, be big and bold and colorful. Yeah. It's uh, definitely not going anywhere. You can see it. Without okay. Shirt okay. On. Tramp stamp. I like shirt it. on. Because the uh, the the fiance might kill me, but probably uh, probably on the back. I don't have too much room on the front anymore. So yeah, okay, okay. I'll work it in. My, my <laughs> final my final outside thoughts on the Blue Jackets, and hopefully Nick will appreciate this final thought, is that in the regular season they won sixteen games in a row. Yeah. To win the Stanley Cup, you have to win sixteen games. In a row. A little correlation there. Foreshadowing. That's my final thought. There Foreshadowing. You go. Yeah, so they're going just sweeping four and zero, four and zero, four and zero, four and zero. That's what Grant predicted. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, just saying, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I don't know how you deal with it, man. Yeah, I'd be. I might, I might uh, be having a pretty good time if we did that. Let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> I, I think I would get on board the John Tortorella hype train if that was the case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally, I think you and Beaker might not have anything to say for a while there. No, I'd, I'd have to find other things to make fun of him for. If, if that, <laughs> if that happens, Nick's going to start looking up real estate in Ohio to relocate to be with <laughs> yeah, all yeah, family. definitely. <laughs> right, right next to Tort's house. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little weird. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. U.S. Women's National Team just, well, reportedly have signed a four-year deal with USA Hockey. It is going to be uh, fantastic. Each of these players looking at about $70,000 a year. Uh, on top of this, USA Hockey allocating 950000 backloaded for uh, for what they haven't paid. Uh, new training stipends. Uh, originally, it was about $750 a month up to 2000 Now, all players getting $2,000 a month to train. Uh, women are getting uh, team performance medals 
uh, from USA Hockey on top of from the IOC for uh, for gold and silvers. Uh, they're going to receive the same level of travel arrangements and insurance coverage as the men's teams. Uh, before they had a $15 per diem that has been bumped to $50, the same as the guys. Uh, they're establishing a committee to make recommendations on how the Federation can improve its marketing, scheduling, public, public relations, and promotion of the women's game. And they're adding a foundation position to improve fundraising and other efforts for its girls' developmental programs. Right now, the men's side gets about five million dollars uh most of that is from the nhl uh itself that is donating that money that goes into the ushl and and boys programs all over the country nick you are an american you care a little more about your women's hockey team than than i do what are your thoughts on this i mean in my view this is a fantastic deal for the women it's been a long time coming i think that this whole process uh two big notes to take from it from me at least where one, uh, the people at the top of USA, USA Hockey are seriously out of place on this. They they don't know what they're doing apparently because uh, I have an article right in front of me. Actually, I'm not going to read it obviously, but the title: This is how badly they did not want to get a deal done. Is that two girls from the University of Wisconsin River Falls hockey team, Division Three hockey, got called up by USA Hockey representatives to replace the players that were not going to play. That's how far they were going down. And there was even reports of them calling U18 players. So they were going to field, field a team that young, that inexperienced, just to get around paying these people. So that, in my mind, is about about the worst PR you could possibly have. So they've they've tarnished their name. It's almost, in my mind, to the level of like FIFA tarnishing. Like, you just look... <laughs> dumb at this point. Yep. And the second one is, I think this has been a great show of how athletes today view the games because not only did the women boycott it, but women who would never get a chance under any other circumstance turned it down. These two girls said they took 24 hours, but they turned it down because it was the right thing to do. And even the men what was, what was it, like 24 or 48 hours afterwards, said they were going to boycott future tournaments in solidarity with the women. That, in my mind, shows me how much further along uh, women's hockey's got in terms of uh, public view. And that's a great thing to me because, personally, I love women's hockey. Totally different sport than men's hockey, but still great in its own respect. And it deserves they deserve this money. They deserve this deal, and I'm glad it's getting done. I'm with you there. I, if I'm being brutally honest, if, if women's hockey had the same sort of broadcasting, um, technology and, and availability as the NHL, I probably would watch it more. I, I really enjoy, especially the NWHL. There's just so much talent. It's such a fun game to watch. Um, it, for me, this was, this was fantastic. I, I am so happy for them. I've got friends, uh, friends of friends in the NWHL. I, couple of girls uh that I know that are playing D1 at uh, at RIT you know these are people who deserve so much for what they're putting in and are just not getting it so to, to see them getting not even equal pay because it's not that yet but equal opportunity to succeed and equal recognition or at least the start of equal recognition for the amount of work that they're putting in and what they are contributing to the country is fantastic and i am i am ecstatic for that i am over the moon that, that this deal went through it is uh it is a milestone and i'm with you usa hockey dropped the ball massively on this and and the one that stuck out to me the most was when they came back with a new deal without having voted on the terms that they agreed to with the women within a matter of hours and the women still went back in and renegotiated I mean, this is this is a testament to the will of the athletes and, yeah. and and the power of social media. And this is just such a fantastic story. And I think, you know, three, four years down the road, people are going to be looking back to this moment and be like, that's when we hit equality or started on the path to equality in hockey. You know, that's when it really took hold. I, I this is, this makes me so happy. Yeah, no, I, I've been trying to follow it too. And it's, it's, definitely something that had to be done like it's important like like you said Cole they're not getting equal pay but at least the opportunity is the same and the I, I, I'm not going to defend what they did um, because 
this should have this deal was it, it was as a fan and as somebody who would enjoy hockey, this is a duh. You know, like give the women the opportunity they deserve. So I'm not this is if this comes off like I'm trying to defend the stupidity of these people, it doesn't. But I'm I'm just wondering when when you look at women's hockey, really it's a it's a two country sport. It's either Canadian women or the American women. Like at least with international hockey with men's games, you know Russia's gonna contend, Sweden's gonna contend. There's you know probably a half a dozen countries that are gonna have some competitive play some competitive teams. So that's what I'm almost wondering if that's why it, like if I'm in the, the upper echelon of those guys, if I'm thinking really we don't need to give all these women all this money because we only have Canada to compete with. Like I'm assuming, I'm assuming there is a national team for Russia. I'm assuming the women have a national team in Sweden. I'm assuming that, but I have no idea if they're good at all. And I, that's almost why I'm wondering if this knuckleheads that decided not to pay them felt they didn't need to, because there's only one other country we have to compete with. Regardless of who we send, we're probably going to meddle because we could send a bunch of 18 year old American girls, pay them nothing. And we'll probably still get silver. And yep. that shouldn't be the mindset they have. It's a, it's a, unfortunately a reality. So it would be nice to see if that other countries now see that America is putting in the, t- the commitment to their women's international teams, giving them the opportunity to then when there are international competitions in women's hockey, there are a half a dozen countries that could compete and be entertaining to watch. And right now, to reiterate, it's really a two country thing. So that's, that's the unfortunate thing. And that's probably why they didn't feel the need to pay them because we really don't have any other country forcing our hand to give these women opportunities and to support them because we don't have a lot of competition from outside of Canada. And realistically, the pressure and support on them just wasn't there. You know, this isn't, it's not been until recently that, that this kind of support for women's hockey has shown up. You know, you see the creation of the NWHL two years ago. Um, you know, we just had the final, like that's what kicked this all, this all off. You know, this was the day after the NWHL final. They went and said, look, we're, we're striking. You know, we're not going. This is it. This is, you know, they picked a, a peak moment. And, and so for me, it, it's taken this time to give them a platform where they're, where they're able to do that. Yeah, and uh, two things that I actually uh, just thought of. One, I'm looking at USA Hockey website uh, uh, right now, and uh, their senior leadership, and I don't want to play the gender card. There, there is only one woman. Senior leadership, uh, Jim Smith, Ron uh, DeGrigio, or however you pronounce his name, <laughs> Dave Ogren. You have to go to the second level of the executive committee to get one woman, and she's a treasurer. So how are all of these... 60, 70 year old men not understanding that their thought process on women's hockey, which is an archaic one, is out of touch with what society actually views it now. That's so, just it. I mean, there's got to be some changing in, in that leadership there. Yeah. And I'm not going to be one of the people to call for them to step down, but they've got to get some someone else in there to help out to understand whether it be a young male that respects women's hockey or more females like alumni of the USA hockey programs or something, they've got to get someone that's in touch with how society views women's hockey nowadays because they apparently don't view it very highly. That's or else just they would it. not have gone to these lengths to not pay them. That's, that's completely it. I mean, you get somebody like a Julia Chu, you know, four time medalist who is an icon of us women's hockey. You get her up there. I, even, in an advisory role where she is at least sitting yep. in on meetings and just saying, Hey, that's really dumb. Or, Hey, we need more support for this. Exactly. That does, that does leaps and bounds and she commands authority and she commands respect. And best of all, you know, she's well-spoken. She can go on, you know, ESPN, NBC and, and go on those intermission shows and say, here's what's going. You know, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're trying to do. And, you know, it doesn't have to be her obviously, but someone like that, someone who is, who is retired and can take up that banner. And, and lead the way the same way, you know, a Tessa Bonham has done in Canada or a, a Mary exactly. Philippe Poulet. The other thing that I was thinking of, and I believe it was one of our fellow writers at Last Word on Hockey, uh, Catherine. Uh, her last name is escaping me right now. Dor- or Dore, and, one of the two. I'm not sure yeah. how she pronounces it. Um, she said yesterday about how the uh, USA Hockey, and this is me speaking, like I didn't know this before this, which is just 
ignorant on my part for not knowing this, that they have to give up their professional season mm-hmm. to compete for USA Hockey and then not get paid in the process when the men are not asked to forego the NHL season whatsoever and they get paid millions. I just, I mean, maybe this is just because uh, I'm part of this generation and I'm part of the, the society now that views women's hockey as equal, but I just cannot wrap my head around that kind of thought process at all. That makes no sense. I'm I'm completely with you. And I mean, I, I can see it from a team perspective. Like, yeah, it makes sense to, to have your team training together for as long as possible. Yeah. yeah. But to pull them out of a league is, one, it is insulting to the league. It is insulting yeah. to these players calling their league. It, it, you're basically saying your league isn't professional. And yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. that's what you're doing. You're saying your league is not as professional. It's not as legit as the NHL, which is ridiculous. It's ludicrous. And the second thing that you're doing is you're forcing these women to relocate for six months of the year and you're not paying them for after their term or, you know, after that, that short contract is done. Yes, they're making, you know, 60K a year during that Olympic year but you're forcing them to move and then not paying them the next year where they're going to have to recover those expenses that they just lost. You know, it is a terrible situation and I am glad it is at least being partially resolved. And I don't know if full details have come out yet about, uh, about the deal with regards to that portion of it, if they're still going to have to do that for six months or if they're going to be able to play in the NWHL or CWHL. But I hope, that it is going to be the same as men and you just, you go, yeah. or even the same as, as European soccer, you know, with, with Euro friendlies, you know, Hey, we're taking a break this weekend. All the women are going to train for their national teams. That would be fine with me as well, but you cannot develop the game without yeah. a top flight professional league. There's nothing to look forward to for these women. You're mm-hmm. going to kill off players purely for the fact that they have nothing to aspire to be other than a national team player. And then they see these national team players being mistreated you're going to kill off a large percentage. It might, uh, let me restate that. It might not be a large percentage, but even a small percentage of a couple thousand across the nation is a lot of girls you're going to get out of hockey just purely because they'd have nothing to aspire to be afterwards. So once again, it's just, it, it makes no sense. There's nothing, no way you can explain that decision outside of what you said, a performance-based situation where you want your team to be together as much as possible. There's no way to explain it and make any sense of it. Like I'd like to sit in on one of these boardroom meetings and hear what these guys are saying, because I have a feeling it's probably not the most intelligent stuff. (laughs) I completely agree. I mean, even, even as it stands right now with the NWHL, I know people who have turned down professional careers in hockey because it is not fiscally responsible because they will not be able to make enough to live off of. And because it would require them to live in New York city where it's very expensive to live. Yep. You know, it's just a reality of the women's game as it sits today. And this is the first step towards improving it. You know, this is, this is the first step. Nick, I know you got to get out of here. I know you are, you're looking at the clock. Um, so thank you so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure having you on talking blue jackets. If you guys want to follow Nick on Twitter, you can do so at red army, Nick, you can read all of his articles on last word on hockey. Just look up Nick Hendrickson, you know, one in five is, is gold four and five are terrible, but you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, look for that 20%. All right. Thanks Nick, for having me on, guys. All right. Thanks Have for coming on. Bye. All right, Graham, you and I, and I still got a couple topics to cover here. Uh, at, uh, suspensions and the Pacific Division. Which one do you want to go into? Uh, let's go with the Pacific Division. All right, Pacific Division. It is crazy over there in the Pacific Division. Recently, four points separated first and fourth. That's down to three now. Calgary, 90 points. Division leader Anaheim, 93 points. This is as tight as it gets. If you had to pick a team right now coming out of the Pacific that you think, you know what, I am convinced they are... Legit, they are the real deal. Could you do it? I don't know if I could do it. Um, it because it's so tight. Like, uh, like we were saying before we came on, like, yeah, Calgary's got that wild card spot, and they're three points behind Anaheim. But I think Calgary's the better team. Um, do I think any of those teams are gonna gonna compete? Um, to to represent in the cup. I don't know. I, I like San Jose. I like Edmonton. Edmonton's still young. Calgary's young. Uh, 
Anaheim's got like 12 overtime losses this year. So that, <laughs> that doesn't bode well for me, um, for them doing well in the postseason. Um, I know it's, it's one, one particular stat that I don't want to overanalyze, but 12 overtime losses means you're not finishing close games. You're not finding that extra goal in that extra five minutes. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to lose those 12 games. I mean, they lead, you, you cut that in half and now they lead the, now they're nine points separate first and third, right? I mean, yeah. like first in the wild card. So then they're a little more legit if they only have six overtime losses. And, and that's why I say Calgary to go off of that. Calgary has four. So Calgary either wins, lose it. Either they either win or they lose. They don't lose in overtime very often. So Calgary finds a way to maintain that lead late um, or score that goal in overtime um, based on records alone. That's, would be the simple way to look at it for me. So do I out of the Pacific? There's a 50% shot. <laughs> I For me, I think you're looking at either Calgary or San Jose and they're teams that are trending in opposite directions. You know, San Jose, I think coming into this year was my pick to come out of the Western conference. I really liked their team. I was confident in them. And recently their play has been uh, politely subpar, uh, not so politely terrible by their standards. They, they're an average possession team, an average expected goals team over their last 20 score adjusted. And that's just not the Sharks. You know, this is a team that we've come to expect to dominate those measures. Uh, they're relying heavily on Brent Burns this year. And, and that works when he's got a fantastic shooting percentage like he had for the majority of the year. But when he's going on a 13, 14, 15 game goalless drought, you know, and, and all of your chances are coming from Brent Burns shots from the point, you know, you've got to, you got to reconsider. You, you got to be Bruce Boudreaux of last year with the Ducks and, and reshape your game plan. And, and for me, this is just a team that hasn't been convincing over the past little while. And, and the opposite of that is Calgary. You know, in the past month, they're the second best team in the league in terms of score adjusted Fenwick 4 percentage. You know, 53.82, the only team better than that is uh, Boston, who's been dominant all year. You know, Calgary has been the real deal over their last 20 games, and and I'm starting to buy in. You know, that defensive core is fantastic, especially now that they have Dougie, Dougie Hamilton up in the top hair. You know, that top six, solid. Bottom three, not so much, but, uh, you know, that that third line is is a decent third line. I believe in the Calgary Flames, and I think they're going to be the team to come out of the West, but it depends entirely on the matchup that they get. If they draw the Blackhawks in round one, I'm skeptical. If they draw the Wild in round one, I'm skeptical. I don't know how they do against a a team like Devin Dubnik. But if you can get, I mean, right now they're matched up against Chicago, so that's it's not ideal. But if if you can find yourself playing in Anaheim, I, I think Calgary, well... Theoretically, Calgary should be able to do that. They have struggled intensely against Anaheim at the Honda Center. But assuming they get past that ghost, I don't see any reason why they couldn't do it. The third team I'm going to throw out there that has played really well over the past little while is the Nashville Predators. They have quietly surged into third place in the Central. They're 89 points right in that same range. They've been really solid as well. Um, I think they could surprise some people. You know, they're They're my dark horse pick this year. I'll, I'll give you that. I still hope the Wild come out of the Central. Obviously, a biased opinion yeah. would be great if they represent the West. But yeah, no, I mean, I if if I'm not to sound cliche, but I don't I don't fear the beards of San Jose <laughs> anymore. At least right now, um, I think it's it's important that if you want to be successful, that you you know like like Billy Bean says in Moneyball, adapt or die. Right? What was working for you a month ago isn't working now, and unfortunately, you like. Brent Burns is the the beautiful face of your franchise, um, <laughs> kind of thing. So you're you're going to rely on him a lot, right? It'd be it'd be like I mean to use your team as an example, Colton. You're if if Carlson isn't a point producing defenseman and your team doesn't drive around him, you're probably not in the spot you are. So San Jose is where they're at because of what Brent Burns does from, as a defenseman. Um, Calgary is playing great, and I think the success that you have in March and that first week in April is is big. I mean, you want to play well all season, obviously, but if you're going to have a time in the year where you turn it, like where you turn the corner, you find another level to play at, you do it now, 
and you take that into the postseason. Like if Calgary finds a way to draw Anaheim in the first round, even though they've struggled when they've played in Anaheim, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Calgary sweep them. Um, it, it, which I, I that's saying a lot for Calgary. I don't like I, I'm giving them a lot of props there, but I don't think it's it's outlandish for me to say that. Um, I think Calgary's playing really, really well. Um, and it, I mean, in a perfect fantasy world as a fan, I would love to see Edmonton or Calgary, you know, have a great final seven, eight games. One of them gets there and then it's Calgary Edmonton round one. And that's like, a that possibility. Be, yeah, it's, it's one it, point right now that we're out of that. Yeah. Which, and that would be a dream matchup. I mean, s- same with the East. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure I, you would love an Ottawa Toronto first round matchup. Like that would be fantastic to watch. Um, it would be. It, it would have people who are your casual hockey fans invested game one, round one of the postseason. Like if you have those those kind of matchups in round one, people are tuning in um, right away. Even if they haven't been all season, if you're a casual fan who's like, oh, I watch hockey, but only in the playoffs, well, everybody's going to be watching if that's the first round matchup you have. So we'll see. The Pacific is tight, and that's why it's it's tough for me to think it's going to be a team from that division that, represents the west i'm still leaning obviously towards minnesota chicago maybe nashville like you said st louis i think they're i don't even want to talk about st louis i think the i think if they if they get in um slash when they get in i don't expect much from them um but we'll see yeah chicago minnesota both very dominant territorially over this over this past little while i'm curious to see what happens there i'm very curious because theoretically you could have a scenario where they take each other out obviously not in the first round but uh but in the second round I and mean, that's a real possibility right even st louis st louis hasn't been terrible recently so you you match up against chicago i'd be curious to see how that one winds up i my money would be on chicago by far um and i think the minnesota nashville series would be much more entertaining but i mean if you get chicago minnesota in uh in the semifinals like that's that's a matchup and a half. I think whoever is coming out of the Pacific is going to have uh, the Pacific and the Atlantic this year are, are going to be my picks for the Stanley Cup just because I think they're going to have the easiest run and have the most juice left in the tank. Yeah. Chicago, Minnesota, yes, would be a lovely, lovely series. But it will, it, ba- ba- based on history, it's not one that I hope ends up happening. <laughs> I mean, chances are if it does happen, it'll be in the, you know, in the semis or maybe the Western Conference final. Um I wouldn't mind yeah. Chicago Nashville again. That was a really fun series last year. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Right. But the Pacific, the Pacific's tight. We'll see what happens there. All right. The other topic we were going to discuss is the Mathot slash Crosby. Should he or should not he have been suspended? I look. I'm a Sens fan. We all know that. I'm firmly on no, no suspension for for Crosby for that. That was a joke. Uh, you know, those things happen all the time. I think that speaks more to the way the game is called these days, and also to uh, you know the lack of protective padding on the gloves. You know, that's a slashing penalty. It's always a slashing penalty. It's never called. Start calling them, and that's where that discussion ends. As for the Eugene Melnick and Crosby chirping back and forth, and Melnick's an idiot. Like, let's be <laughs> honest here. The it just he has a. Gr- He's an owner. I was going to say he's a great owner. I I don't love everything he does, but he loves this team. But sometimes he needs to be an owner and not a fan. Uh, and, And there are moments where you don't call out the best player in the NHL. And this was one of them because this is just a hockey play. And it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Um, obviously Crosby not helping himself with that spear, you know, the night before, but it is what it is. You know, these things happen. I, I, I'd agree with you there, too. I mean, I know Mathot's going to be giving people high fours for a little while instead of <laughs> high fives in the locker room. Um, but the, like injuries like that happen. And again, it, it just further highlights that there's not a lot of protection on a hockey glove. I mean, I know when I would play road hockey or rink hockey in the winter, they're not exactly warm. They're, they're, you know, hockey gloves are meant to keep you protected. Um, but... You know, when I was playing road hockey or ice hockey when I'm 12 years old, I'm clearly not built like Sidney Crosby, where <laughs> where I could slash somebody like that. Um, penalty, yes. You know, I I think it it speaks that maybe there should be more called. the The only thing that I'm thinking when it comes to regards to suspensions is no, I I don't think it deserves to be suspensions. But when you when you look at a player, if you are a Crosby, 
and I could, you know, list a bunch of like if you're a Crosby or a Patrick Kane or a Carter McDavid or whatever. I kind, you know, do you do you, Colton? I'll throw this on you because I'll, I, I, my opinion on this may become obvious by me asking you this question instead of answering it. Are those elite players almost like exempt from ever having suspended? Because if you suspend a Crosby, you are never hearing the end of it. Like not even like not just Pittsburgh fans, but NHL hockey fans would be. So can Crosby get away with whatever he wants? And not have to worry about to being suspended. Extent. Is that the kind of player he is? Is that what he? Is that the impact he has on the game? I, I think it's two things. One, usually the best players in the game don't get suspended because they don't do things deserving of suspension. Usually that's the case. Um, you know, it, it it's just rare. As far as are the best players exempt? I think that's an interesting question. I I'm hesitant to say. Yes, because I, I'm not a huge conspiracy guy, but at the same time, I think they are given the benefit of the doubt, partially because of the fans, but also because it is in the NHL's best interest to have their best players on the ice to get the best ads and the, and the most eyes watching those ads. You know, um, it doesn't make sense to have Sidney Crosby missing the All-Star game every year. That's why you get a penalty if you skip the all-star game without an injury or that injury is shown to have not happened. You know, there's a reason that they, they make these players go or at least attempt to make them go. And so it's the same thing for suspensions. I think, you know, when, when there, it is little borderline stuff that's on the edge that they can get away with because Lord knows they're not consistent. I think they do. Um, and whether that is a conscious decision from the NHL or whether that is simply, you know, human bias, is not for me to say. Um, it was much better under Brendan Shanahan than it has been and is at the moment. Yeah, I, I I'd agree with you there. Like, I like I, I don't want to say they are because I don't think it's such a black and white thing. Because I, I think it's the key point you said is usually those guys aren't going to put themselves in a situation where a suspension may be warranted, right? Like, I mean, Crosby can probably get away with a little more aggressive play a little more of a slash a little more of a this and that and those kind of things that other guys could um because of who he is and i mean i think that goes the same in any professional sport i mean you know the you know lebron james would probably need a lot more foul a lot fewer foul foul calls than some bump right i mean like it's just i think that's the the nature of any professional sport is your top end guys because those are the ones who put money in the seats or put the fans in the seats who put money in your pockets yeah, you're not gonna let you're not gonna let Crosby, you know, if he if he goes boarding a guy and the guy is now being stretchered off and his career is over, like okay, we gotta draw the line somewhere. Like probably he would, but on the flip side, Crosby would never put himself in a situation like that because he knows that. But he can get away with the little stuff and maybe even the medium stuff uh, <laughs> more than other. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm trying to think what a medium stuff would be after I said that. I was like, that's gonna sound really silly. Um, but I think, I think he, and I don't think he consciously knows that. I don't think that Crosby goes on the ice and thinks I could do whatever I want. I am untouchable when it comes to the league safety committee and suspensions and I can do whatever the heck I want. I don't, he doesn't have that mentality. I don't, I, at least I would hope he doesn't. And, and I don't, and I don't think the star players do. And I, and I think it's also because you have, I don't want to say you have guys in your teams where, you know, okay, well, if you go and spear a guy and get suspended a few games, we can work without you um i mean that's that is the case there are some guys that when they get suspended it's like okay well yeah we'll just call somebody up from the a or whatever you're probably gonna be in the press box for the next three games anyway because you're hardly playing as it is whatever but star players tend not to put themselves in those situations but if they do it, it would it would make me wonder if that kind of a situation happened what then does the league do with a player like that that's and it, and and until and until I see Crosby do something that's like he he slashed a guy and literally like took his whole hand off and or something like crazy like that, then then it's like okay like but it was it was a slash and the guy's finger blew up like that's it happens like it I mean clearly it doesn't happen a lot or else people wouldn't be talking about it and we wouldn't have it as a topic right now. Yeah, but I, I'm with you happened. on that one. <laughs> I I mean Drew Doughty is in Brad Marshall. And Matthew Kachuk, 
And those are the names. I think it was, I think Dowdy got suspended. I'm, I'm fairly confident on that, on that. Those are the names that really stick out to me recently for, for players who are elite, who have been suspended. Um, you know, it happens. Pronger at his, you know, moments. Um, I, I think it's possible. I do think they get a bit of leeway, but, uh, I don't want to get too, too conspiracy theorist on you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Oh, I'll give it to you. I think I think we're both kind of like you're on page eighty one and I'm on page eighty two. We're pretty close. <laughs> All right. I think that's a good good spot to end it. A uh, little bit of a shorter episode. Uh, I guess not really. Yeah, right around that hour mark. We don't need Nick. We got other Nicks to replace him. But yeah. Yeah, and I mean until Detroit starts playing well, he's, he's just going to be whiny anyway. This is true. Although right now he's soaking up that nice Californian sun. He's an honorary Rangers fan this week, you know, catching three <laughs> games all across the ca- – he's doing the California road trip. He's not even on the team. Little did they know they have a super fan in the in the midst, in the wings, waiting to come out when Andres yes. Anathasiu and Dylan Larkin are flying up the wings for the Rangers. Nick's there I, rocking his I, red. I, I don't think the Detroit-Buffalo-Toronto road trip would be anywhere nearly as exciting or enjoyable. No, no, it's not. It's <laughs> it's also much worse scenery. <laughs> All right. On that note, as we just slam two American cities, you know what? You might as well say, because Nick's off the podcast now. Nick Hendrickson, not Nick Sega. You know what? I don't get the Ohio love. I don't get the Columbus love. It's a weird city. It's a weird state. It's out there. What's he going to do about it? <laughs> now we're ending it. <laughs> This is the Game Time Decision Podcast. I'm Colton Prail, as always, joined by Graham Anderson. A little earlier on in the show was Nick Hendrickson. You can find him on Twitter at Red Army Nick. You can find Graham at GM614 and myself at Colton Prail. The show is at GTD underscore podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, on SoundCloud. Give us a rating, give us a like, give us a share, download, whatever you want. I like them all. Helps us get the show out there. Helps us get ears onto our ramblings we'll be back next week we've got uh, another episode coming out tomorrow with andrew brickshire talking all about sport logic and uh, and microstats particularly loose puck recoveries fantastic episode he's a fantastic guest highly recommend listening to that one we will catch you next week though have a good one